0: It's funny the things that you remember from your childhood. It's usually pretty sporadic and sometimes seemingly random. I have this vivid memory of being in elementary school. I think it was about second grade, where I think we went to a pep rally. And after the pep rally, we must have gone back to class, I guess, just for a few minutes to get our backpacks before we would uh, have the bell ring and to go home. So there wasn't any, like, class that was happening. We were just kind of you know, waiting around for the bell to ring. And I'm not sure what the, the teacher was doing. I'm sure she was doing something responsible off to the side and, you know, uh, certainly nothing against her. But somehow, me and my buddies decided that it was probably a good idea if we tried to imitate the cheerleaders by doing the, the stunt where you, like, pick up one of the, the, the people and, uh, and, you know, throw them in the air and catch them. So we thought that would be a good idea, second grade boys. And uh, somehow I was volunteered to be the the flyer. (laughs) So, uh, you know, another thing you might know about some second grade boys is that their attention spans aren't always very long. So, you know, we uh, we thought it was a great idea for a moment. Then we get started and already like half of those those boys went off to something else. So I didn't know until I was already in the air, that the guy, the boy that was supposed to be behind me, um, uh, behind me, like, holding the support to make sure I wouldn't fall backwards, um, got distracted. And he was off somewhere else. And so I just have, like, this memory of, like, going up and then falling back as a second grader and hitting, hitting the floor. Um, and in my head, like, it hurt, it hurt a lot. Um, I mean, I was okay. No serious injury or anything. But I just remember being like totally shocked, like oh my gosh, and mad. Like where was where was the person that was supposed to, to support me? So as as you may also know, sometimes uh, at retreats, especially in middle, uh, elementary, middle school, high school retreats, um, a lot of times you'll do like the trust fall, and you know you try to teach teach the kids that like you can trust people. So you know just go ahead and do the trust fall and let them catch you. And I'd always want to know, well who's my partner? Because I don't just trust anybody, you know, I have a bad experience. And uh, is my partner going to have a long enough attention span to remember that he's my partner and catch me whenever I fall? It's funny how our past experience often colors our present reality. That sometimes whenever there's an experience of the past, whether it's a, a failure or a shortcoming or a hurt, that sometimes that, that colors the way in which we perceive our present circumstances, and often as well colors the way in which we look towards the future. And that can especially be true in our relationship with God. That can especially be true in our spiritual journey, in our efforts, in our attempts to follow Jesus. Because I would be willing to bet all of you here today have somewhere along your, your journey, your story, You have at least one time in your life been kind of motivated and ready to follow the Lord, ready to be a disciple, ready to follow Jesus, ready to commit to him. But also chances are that somewhere along the line it got hard. Somewhere along the line, maybe you fell short. You came face to face with your own weaknesses and sins. Maybe you faced a failure in your life. Maybe you got persecuted. Are hurt by someone else, whatever the, the situation is, and maybe there's a few different situations, they, they, they tend to suddenly make following Jesus a little bit more difficult. Not as easy as it seemed that first moment when you were inspired. When push comes to shove, sometimes following the Lord is just hard. And whenever we, we, we realize how hard it is, we can often get a little discouraged, and that, tar- that starts to color the way in which we see Christian discipleship. It starts to kind of change the way in which we look towards the future of what it might be like to follow Jesus. And I, I bring that up because today is that beautiful story in the gospel where Jesus calls his first disciples, some of his first disciples. And this comes from the, the Gospel of John right in the beginning. And um, we have the story of, uh, first of all, we have John the Baptist, who himself has his own disciples. And, and you know, it was, it was not uncommon at the time for different preachers or, or teachers, rabbis, to, to have disciples, students, followers, that would, you know, listen to their teachings and kind of follow their way of life. So John the Baptist was one of them, among many, and he notices Jesus for who he really is and points him out. But to add a little bit more context here, what's interesting is that John the Baptist was himself a, 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 the son of a priest. And, and back in the Old Testament, the priesthood would be passed down from father to son to grandson, like it would, it would be passed down through ancestral lineage, uh, and, and the priests would, would offer sacrifice in the temple. That was their role. They would, they would go to the temple and pray on behalf of themselves and the rest of the people and offer sacrifices, set things on fire on an altar. And, and, and those sacrifices might be in Thanksgiving or um, in atonement for sins or, or for whatever. Well, well, that's what John the Baptist's dad was up to, Zechariah. And you would think that John the Baptist himself would also be in the temple, getting ready to kind of live out that type of priesthood. But instead, he goes to the desert, to the wilderness, which is not in the temple. And, and to add even further context, at this particular time in Jewish history, that they believed that the Spirit of the Lord had left the temple. And, and they were anxiously awaiting the day that the Spirit of the Lord would return to the temple. And then, ironically enough, you have this seemingly rogue preacher, John the Baptist, who is preaching and teaching in such a way that seems anointed, anointed by the Holy Spirit. It seems that, that he is speaking on behalf of God himself, causing some to even say, Well, I wonder if this is the Messiah. I wonder if this is the one who is to come. And, and as they would ask John the Baptist, he would, of course, say, no, it's, it's not me. There's one greater than I that's coming. But, but what we have in today's gospel reading is the moment whenever Jesus walks by and John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. He points him out. And we take that phrase for granted because we're Christian and we come to church all the time and we hear that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But, but at the moment, like that language is, is really priestly And really significant, that the Lamb of God, usually the lambs are in the temple being offered up in sacrifice. And and this is not just any ordinary lamb, this is the Lamb of God himself, not in the temple, but over here. And John the Baptist says, here it is, behold the Lamb of God. Pointing out this, this one is different. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. So, so his disciples are intrigued by this. They're drawn to him. And, and uh, Andrew is named. That's one of them. Uh, St. Andrew was a disciple um, of John the Baptist that sees Jesus and is drawn to him. And there's an unnamed disciple. Some scholars would suggest it's probably St. John since it's unnamed. Uh, St. John tends to do that in referring to himself in his own gospel. So, so probably St. John and St. Andrew, after following John the Baptist, are now interested in Jesus because John the Baptist points them out. And so they, they go towards him, and Jesus notices that they are approaching. And he says, what are you looking for? I mean, I just want to invite you to to hear those words for yourself in your own heart. What are you looking for? Such an important question from Jesus to those first disciples, but also to you today. What are you looking for? And they respond with a question, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he responds, come and you will see. Jesus responds with an invitation, an invitation to make an act of the will to, to... Take a risk and to take a step forward, to make like, even just a small commitment in faith to follow. That, that God is so beautiful that he doesn't, he doesn't force himself upon us, but invites us to participate and respond to his invitation. Come and you will see, and they do. And the rest is history, as we know. And the gospel even goes on to tell about how Andrew brings his brother Simon, who is, gives, is given a new name, Peter, and, and so on and so forth, as all the other disciples would eventually be called to Jesus. But I just want to really focus there on that invitation, because sometimes we take that invitation for granted. Many of us might think, oh, well, that was many years ago. I, I responded to that invitation, and so now I'm just living my life. But the Lord continues to invite us and continues to make that really important and primary, crucial invitation. Come and see. Come, take a step forward. And sometimes that step seems like such a hard step to take. Uh, I'll offer uh, an example, and this is kind of a silly example, but here it goes. Um, Many of you are familiar with um, the Christmas movie Elf, uh, I, I enjoyed. It's a really fun one with Will Ferrell. And um, there's that, that scene where he's like just getting to New York and uh, you know, he's, he was raised in the North Pole so he didn't know anything about New York and he's getting to New York and he's you know checking out Gimbel's, the, the department store that's basically Macy's and um, finally uh, gets to this point where he sees the escalator for the first time and, like, with childlike wonders, like, well, what is this? Like, it, it seems to be a floor that's moving and going up. And, and he kind of gets close to it, and he's, like, investigating it, and he's a little nervous. And then he, like, is about to take a step, and then he kind of, like, he holds back. You know, he's kind of, like, dancing, because he's, like, he doesn't, he, like, he wants to step forward, but he doesn't. And then, like, other people are, like, coming by and, like, you know, move out the way, like, they're just stepping onto the escalator, and they're rising up with great ease and he's just like so nervous and finally until he finally like takes a step and then that was only one foot so that foot starts to rise while the other foot is still on the floor and then finally he's like his legs are split and he's like you know going up the elevator I mean, it's kind of kind of comical but but by analogy i just wonder like sometimes we are a little hesitant in the same way to take a step forward in discipleship like like the floor that's not moving is safe, it's secure. And that's our own heart, that's our own life. And then there's that divide where um, it, it then crosses over to the, the moving floor where the elevator escalator begins. And that divide sometimes can feel like such a, a huge gap, like such a major gap that like, we just can't even fathom stepping over that. And, 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 and in our own heart, like sometimes that, that divide... Maybe that's our own fears or maybe that is our own past hurts or maybe it's a, an experience of failure that we once faced or, or maybe um, it's some type of anxiety or worry or it could be really anything but it, it basically an analogy for the wedge that's between us and the Lord. There's, there's some kind of barrier between our heart and His and it, sometimes it can just seem so large of a barrier and so scary of a barrier to step across and the Lord says come the Lord says come and see the Lord says be not afraid take your eyes off of that divide stop looking at it and look up and take a step forward And as you know, like if if you get used to just stepping onto an escalator, like, you know, you can eventually get to a point where you don't even look at that divide. You're just like walking and you don't even slow down. You just take a step and now you're being elevated by analogy, elevated by grace. Just take a step forward naturally towards Christ, keeping your eyes on him. and, And we step over all of these barriers with great courage and ease by God's grace. I believe that's the invitation the Lord has for you today to take a step take a step forward in faith Christian discipleship is not easy it's just not but that doesn't mean that we have to hold back it doesn't mean that we have to live in the safety of fear step across the fear and into life Step onto the elevator of grace. Step into the heart of Jesus and be not afraid of what might come. Sure, suffering is going to happen. But you know what? It's going to happen anyway. So why not suffer with the Lord rather than suffering, trying to run away from suffering? And as we step forward in Christian discipleship, the Lord brings us so much more than we could ever imagine. There's really just nothing to to be afraid of or to doubt because God can be trusted. Following him is worth it, but it's a daily step forward. Just because you took that step a couple of years ago doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't continue to say, come and see, take another step forward in faith because his invitation is worth following. Amen.